Our scripture reading this morning comes from Romans 8, 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their mind on things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Grace, well this morning we are continuing our sermon series in the book of Romans, and we come to one of those passages that we could just read it, and like the word is so good, and there's so much here that it doesn't really need to be explained much. Like, this is a treasure uh, full of just gospel truths and promises that, yeah, just Grace could read it, we could pray, and we could have a nice day, and that would, be, that would be enough. But we're not going to do that, and so we're going to spend the next few minutes together. I'm going to attempt to, it's kind of one of those things like somebody who might go to the Grand Canyon or something like that and behold the Grand Canyon and then come back to try and explain to others what they saw and what it was like and what they, what they, what they were able to see and didn't have like the words or the vocabulary to really articulate just the, the beauty and the majesty and the grandeur of the Grand Canyon. That's kind of how I feel when it comes to this passage this morning, that this is such a beautiful, gospel-rich passage. And then here I am trying to, trying to communicate and convey to you the, the beauty and the glory that, that's here. I, in many ways, just lack the words and the eloquence to be able to do this passage justice, but I'm still going to preach it anyway. And so here's what I want to do, kind of beginning our time together. I want you to think about this question. I want to pose a question to you, and the question that I want to pose to you is, is this. It's, what is the primary fundamental difference between those who are Christians and those who aren't Christians? Like what is the primary, essential, fundamental difference between a Christian and somebody who's not a Christian? Or, or you might want to personalize this if you're here this morning 
and you're a Christian, you might want to personalize this question for your own life. What's the difference between who you are now as a Christian and what you were in the past when you weren't a Christian? Like what's fundamentally changed? What's, what's different about you now than what you were then? Well, some would say there's really not that big a difference between a Christian and a, and a non-Christian. That some would say that, that Christians just do some things that are a little bit different than non-Christians. Or that Christians just believe in some things that are a little bit different than non-Christians. But the reality is, some would say that, that there's, not, there's not a real big difference between the two. Just a little bit of behavior difference and a little bit of, of beliefs that are, that are different. Well, when we come to our passage this morning, what we're going to see is this passage is going to explain to us the fundamental primary difference between those who are Christians and those who aren't Christians. And what we're going to see when we come to this passage this morning is that we're going to see that this difference that exists between those who are Christians and those who aren't Christians is massive, like it's radical, like it's, it's profound, it's ginormous, it's huge. Just break out your thesaurus and whatever word you want to use to describe this massive, huge, ginormous difference that exists between those who are Christians and those who aren't Christians. In other words, it's not just a, a tweak of our behavior. It's not just a slight change of how we live. It's just not a slight change in how we make decisions. It's just not a slight change of what we believe. Instead, the, instead, the difference between those who are Christians and those who aren't Christians are massive. It's radical. It's ginormous. It's huge. In other words, it's, it's, it affects and digs all the way down not just on the surface level of belief and the surface level of behavior, but the difference between a Christian and non-Christian digs all the way down into the depth and the core of our soul and the nature of who we are. And that's what Paul's describing here. And the way that he describes this is he contrasts two different groups of people or two different kinds of people. He's going to talk about those who are in the flesh, and he's going to talk about those who are in the spirit. And as we dig deeper into this passage, this is going to become abundantly clear as we go through this passage this morning. But what we're going to see is that those who are in the flesh within this context here are specifically a reference to those who aren't Christians. It's a reference to those who are still in Adam. It's a reference to those who don't possess the Spirit, that the Spirit is not dwelling within them. It's a reference to those who are enemies of God. It's a reference to those who are still enslaved to sin and death and who are still under the condemnation of God. Those who are of the Spirit, though, and are in the Spirit, though, those are Christians because they possess the Spirit. The Spirit dwells within them. And they're no longer under condemnation anymore. They're no longer enslaved to sin. They're no longer enslaved to death. Instead, now they're in Christ. 
And so what Paul's going to do here is that he's, he's going he's to show this, this massive difference. He's going to contrast those who are, who are in the Spirit, who possess the Spirit, who have the Spirit, Christians, and he's going to contrast them with those who are in the flesh, who don't possess the Spirit, who are still enslaved to sin and death, and who are still in, in Adam. And the way he's going to do that, and what we're going to see, is he's going to give us five massive differences between those who are in the Spirit and those who are in the, in the flesh. And as we see these differences, here, here's my hope and my prayer for our time together this morning. First would be this. If you're here this morning and, and you're not a Christian, then I pray that as you see these, these five massive differences between those who are Christians and those who aren't Christians, that it will give you a better understanding of what it means to be a Christian. That it will give you a better understanding of what it means to become a Christian. And that you'll see that becoming a Christian is so much more than just tweaking your behavior and living differently and believing some different things. Instead, becoming a, a Christian is, is massively and radically much more extreme than just a change in behavior and a change of belief. Secondly, though, if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, then my prayer for you is that you would just feel the weight and, and be astonished by the massive radical change that has taken place in your life when you became a Christian. That you wouldn't just read this passage and just shrug your shoulders and say, huh, I guess that's what I was then. And I guess that's what I am now. But instead, I pray that you would see this ra radical, massive change between what you were in the flesh and who you were in the flesh and what you are now and who you are now in the Spirit. And the reality of that then would, would radically then change your practical everyday life and how you live in your life today. So, five Massive differences between those in the spirit and those in the flesh. First, you see all this on your handout there. The first difference is this. It's that those in the spirit have received a completely different verdict than those in the flesh. Those in the spirit have received a completely different verdict than those in the flesh. That's what Paul begins here in verse 1. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 8, that's how he begins here in verse 1. Look there with me. Paul says this in verse 1. Chapter 8, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what Paul's referring to here is something that he said and referred to all the way back in chapter 5. If you remember there in chapter 5, Paul talked about how we, how all of humanity, we, all of us, were born in Adam. And so then Adam is our representative and he's the representative for the entire human race. And since Adam's the representative for the entire human race, then when Adam sinned in the garden, then God looked at all of humanity as having sinned as well. And as a result then, all of humanity was condemned as guilty and therefore deserving of death because of Adam. It's what we saw, remember, there in chapter 5. But now when we get to chapter 8, verse 1, we read the exact opposite. We read, now 
there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So then when we were in Adam, and, and Adam was our representative, we were guilty and under the condemnation of God, and we were deserving of death. But now that we are in Christ, and Christ is our federal head, that now that Christ is our representative, now there is no condemnation. And, and here's why. Paul tells us in verse 2, look there with me. He says, for, meaning here's the reason why, why there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, for or because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You see that word law there in, in verse 2? It's used, it's used two times there. That word law, it's not, our specific, it's not a reference to the Old Testament law of Moses. Instead, the word law here, specifically a reference to, it means jurisdiction. It means power. It means authority. It means rule. It means, it means reign. And so then put all that together. When we were in Adam, and Adam was our representative, we were under the jurisdiction, the power, the rule, and the reign of sin, and therefore deserving of death. We were, we were enslaved to, we were under the power, the authority, the dominion of sin, and as a result, we deserved to die. We, we deserved to be, we were condemned to death. But in Christ, though, the Spirit has come, verse 2, and the Spirit then has set us free from the power, the jurisdiction, the reign, the rule, the authority of sin and the condemnation of death that we deserve for our sins. And here's how he did that. Look at, here's how he liberated us then from the condemnation of sin and death that we deserve for our sin. Look at verse 3. Here, here's how he did it. Paul says, For God has done what the law... And the law here in verse 3 is specifically a reference to the Old Testament law of Moses. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. And what was that? What couldn't the Old Testament law of Moses do? It couldn't rescue us. It couldn't set us free. It couldn't liberate us from the power and the authority of sin and death. And the reason that the law couldn't do that is because Paul says in verse 3, our flesh was too weak. Our flesh was incapable of keeping the law. And because of that then, God did what the law could not do. And here's, here's what he did. Look at the rest of verse 3. He sent his own son... In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And so then as Christians, just put all that together. That right there is how God has set us free from the reign and the power and the rule of sin in our lives and set us free the, from the condemnation of death that we deserve for our sins. He set us free by sending Jesus. And when it says that, that God sent Jesus, did you catch that there? That God sent Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh? He doesn't mean that, that Jesus was a sinner. Instead, what he, what he means here and the point that he's just making here 
is that Jesus was 100% genuinely and fully human and therefore was able to identify with all sinful humans. That's why Paul says there that he was in the likeness of sinful flesh. He doesn't say that he was in sinful flesh. He was in the likeness of sinful flesh. But his whole point here is is this, is, is that this right here, this is how God has set us free from the power and the reign and rule of sin in our lives and the condemnation of death that we deserve. He set us free by condemning our sin in Jesus. In other words, all of our sin, our past, our present, and our future sins were all placed on Jesus. And God condemned Jesus for our sin. In this way, Jesus took the condemnation of death that we deserve for our sin. And since he did that then, since all of our sin were condemned once and for all on Jesus and in Jesus, then we're no longer under condemnation anymore because Jesus took our condemnation for us. He took our judgment for us and therefore we've been set free. We've been liberated from condemnation now because because Jesus absorbed that condemnation for us in our place. That's why then, in verse 4, if you notice there, Paul says that the righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled in us. He doesn't say the righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled by us. He says that the righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled in us because we're in Christ and he's our representative. And therefore, what Christ does, what Christ fulfills, we fulfill. Which then begs the question, what exactly is the righteous requirement of the law that Jesus has fulfilled for us? Well, that, that, those two words there, righteous requirement, could literally be translated as just judgment or just punishment. And do you know what the just judgment or the just punishment of the law is? It's death. And that's what Jesus' death fulfilled. That Jesus' death fulfilled the just judgment of the law that should have been ours for breaking the law. So, the end of verse 4 then, what Paul does, he, he explains who this is true for. Who this is applicable for. In other words, this isn't true of everybody. Jesus didn't fulfill the just judgment of God for everyone. If he did that, then that would mean everybody would be saved and no longer under God's condemnation and live forever in God's kingdom. Meaning universalism. And we know that the Bible doesn't teach that. Instead, at the end of verse 4 though, Paul tells us who Jesus fulfilled the just judgment of the law for. Whose condemnation Jesus took by his death on the cross. He took the condemnation and the judgment of those, Paul says, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, those who walk according to the Spirit are no longer under condemnation. That Jesus has fulfilled the just judgment of the law for them, for us, by dying in our place. But that's not the case for those who are in the flesh. 
That's not the case for those who walk according to the flesh. Instead, they're still under their condemnation because Jesus hasn't taken their condemnation for them. He hasn't fulfilled the just judgment and requirement of the law that they deserve for them. So, do do you see, like, the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? It's a whole lot more than just a little tweak of behavior. It's a whole lot more than just a little change of belief here or there. Instead, the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is so much more massive and so much more radical than just behavior and belief. Instead, the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is a different verdict. That those who are in Christ are no longer under condemnation and aren't guilty of their sin anymore. The penalty for their sin has been paid for once and for all by Jesus and his death on the cross, while those who are in the flesh are still under condemnation and guilty before God's judgment bench because of their sin. That's the first massive difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, those in the spirit and those in the flesh. The second difference, though, and you can see this on your hand out there, is this. It's that those in the spirit have a completely different mindset than those in the flesh. Those in the spirit have a completely different mindset than those in the flesh. This is what we see next there in verse 5. Look there with me. Paul writes, he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. So then different translations, English translations, translate verse 5 here, in different ways. So then in the ESV, the the translation that I'm using that I just read from, it translates verse 5 like this, and and catch this here. For those who live, the key word there is live, for those who live according to the flesh, and those who live, again the key word is live, for those who live according to the Spirit. What's interesting is that in the original language in the Greek, the word live, it's not there. Instead it literally says, for those who are according to the flesh, and those who are according to the Spirit. The reason that's significant is because what Paul's talking about here, Paul's not talking about behavior here. He's not talking about how we live here. And so what Paul's talking about here is identity. He's talking about status. He's talking about our location. He's talking about our position. And he's making a distinction here. He's making a distinction between those who are in the flesh, so so those who are in Adam, those who don't possess the Spirit, those who are still under the power and the reign of sin and and death, he's contrasting them with those who are in the Spirit, meaning those who possess the Spirit and are free free, free from condemnation like we just saw. And the contrast that he's making between these two groups is their mindset, their orientation of life what they set their minds upon, how they think, their their worldview, their perspective, their, their outlook. And he says that those who are in the flesh, meaning in Adam, void of the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. And what are the things of the flesh? We just talked about it. Sin and death. Sinful pleasures. Sinful passions. Sinful thoughts. Sinful deeds that lead to death. That's why it's what they think about. It's what they dwell upon. That's their orientation of, of life. 
But those who, who are in the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. It doesn't tell us exactly what all that is, but think like the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So then again, think these, these, these two groups, right? Massive difference. Those mindsets, that, that orientation of life, the outlook of life, the view of life, the worldview of what they're setting their minds upon and fixing their minds upon, completely, radically different from one another. Which then leads to the third difference between these two groups, which is this. See this on your hand out there? It's that those in the Spirit have a completely different destiny than those in the flesh. Those in the Spirit have a completely different destiny than those in the flesh. That's what we see next there in verse 3. Look there with me. This is what Paul says. He says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So then do you see this contrast here that Paul's making here? It's the contrast of outcome. It's the contrast of result or the final end or destiny of those who are in the flesh and those who are in the spirit. And he says here that those who are in the flesh, who set their minds, mind on the flesh, their result, their outcome is what? It's death which means two things here. First, it means spiritual death now, like right now. Meaning they're dead. Their hearts are spiritually dead to the gospel, to the things of the Spirit, to the, to the Lord. They're, they're like spiritually dead. They're alive. They have eyes, ears. Some of them might even have hair. But they're dead now. That was funny. They're dead now, they're, they might be alive physically, but they're spiritually, they're spiritually dead. But secondly, it's not just talking about being spiritually dead now. This death is also a reference to eternal death that is to come. Meaning eternal judgment, eternal condemnation, hell, enduring the just judgment and wrath of God forever. So that's the end result, that's the outcome, that's the destiny of those who are in the flesh and set their mind on the flesh. The outcome, though, and end and destiny of those who set their mind on the Spirit and who are in the Spirit is the exact opposite. It's life. It's, it's life. Which, which, again, means, means two things. First, it means spiritual life now. Meaning the Spirit causes our dead hearts to come alive. And secondly, it's a reference to eternal life. Meaning instead of enduring the just judgment of God forever and condemnation forever, we experience an eternity of never-ending, like unceasing life in God's favorable presence in His kingdom, like forever so then again, do you see this massive difference between the two? Those in the flesh, set their minds in the flesh, are dead. Like, dead. And they're going to endure an eternity of death. While those who are in the Spirit and have the Spirit are alive. Spiritually. And, they're gonna, and we're going to enjoy an eternity of life forever. So then leads to the fourth. Gotta, we're moving quick. Leads to the fourth a massive difference here between those who are in the spirit and those who are in the flesh. Fourth difference is this. 
Those in the spirit have a completely different relationship with God than those in the flesh. Those in the spirit have a completely different relationship with God than those in the flesh. Some of you, you you might have noticed that when we were going through the verse 6 just a second ago, I I skipped over the very last word there in verse 6. It's the word peace. And the reason I I did that is because that word peace is directly connected to what Paul's about to say in verses 7 and 8. Instead, he's making a contrast between being at peace with God and something else, which we'll see in verses 7 and 8. But here's the contrast and the connection that he's making with this word peace and what he's about to say there in verses 7 and 8. That at the very end of verse 6, if you remember, Paul says that those who set their mind on the Spirit, they have life, which we just looked at, Then he goes on to say that they also have peace. And it's important to understand what this peace is that Paul's talking about here. It's not a reference to subjective inner peace. It's not a reference to this inner sense of peace that that God gives us in the midst of troubles and difficulties and suffering and hardships. That's what the Bible refers to as the peace of God that God gives us, this kind of spirit of tranquility and peace that we sense in our hearts in the midst of our lives today. That's not the peace that he's talking about here. Instead, the peace that Paul's talking about here in verse 6 is not the peace of God, it's peace with God. In other words, he's referring to our standing and our relationship and our position with God and before God. That those in the Spirit... Those who possess the Spirit, have the Spirit, live in the realm and the dominion of the Spirit are at peace with God. Meaning God's not against us anymore. God doesn't oppose us anymore. God's not angry with us anymore. We're not at enmity with God anymore. We're not God's enemy anymore. Instead, we've been reconciled to God because our guilt and our condemnation has been paid for once and for all, and therefore we've been reconciled to God, and now, therefore, we are at peace with God. But look at verse 7. That's not the case for those who are in the flesh. In verse 7, he says, for, so this is contrasting those with spirit who have peace with God, for the mind that is set on the flesh, is hostile to God. So those who are in the flesh aren't at peace with God like those who are in the spirit. Instead, those who are in the flesh are hostile to God. They're at enmity with God. They're enemies of God. And and here's the proof and the evidence that they're hostile to God and enemies of God. Look at the rest of verse 7. For it does not submit to God's law Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The key word here, it's used twice, it's the word cannot. And do you know what that word is in the Greek? It's cannot. Meaning, you can't. Unable. Can't do it. It's impossible. Those in the flesh 
who live under the reign and the rule and that dominion, that jurisdiction, can't, they can't obey and submit to God's law and they can't please God. And do you know why they can't? Two reasons. They're dead. And more importantly, they don't have the Spirit. They don't have the Spirit. And so they can't please God. They can't obey God. Because they're dead. The Spirit hasn't made them alive to do so. So then again, do you see like this radical, massive difference between those two groups? One, peace with God, reconciled to God, enjoying the beautiful fellowship with God, while the other is an enemy of God, at enmity with God, and can't obey God and please God because they're dead and they don't have the Spirit. Which then leads to the fifth massive difference between those in the Spirit and those in the flesh, and it's that those in the Spirit have a completely different hope than those in the flesh, have a completely different hope than those in the flesh. And even the word hope doesn't do this justice as we're about to see. But up to this point, what, what, what's Paul been doing? He's, he's contrasting, right? Contrasting those who are in the flesh with those who are in the spirit. And, he, and he's showing the, the massive difference between, between these two groups. Now, though, in verse 9, Paul's going to tell the Christians that are in the church at Rome which of these two groups they belong to. Right? It's kind of like judgment day in a lesser degree. So he's been contrasting these two groups, massive differences. And now Paul's going to tell these Christians in the church at Rome which group they belong to. Look what he says in verse 9. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh. That's not the reign and the rule and the jurisdiction that you're under. But in the Spirit, that's the reign, the rule, the jurisdiction that, that we're under. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone, this is huge, who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So do you see the logic here? He's saying that we're in the Spirit if if the Spirit dwells in us. So this is what distinguishes those who are in the flesh and those who are in the Spirit. What distinguishes those who are in the flesh with those who are in the Spirit is that those who are in the, who, those who are in the Spirit have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. Well, Paul does then in verses 10 and 11 is he then explains the two, what I would call, massive effects that the indwelling of the Spirit then has on our lives. And the first effect is this, is that the Spirit of God that dwells in us gives us spiritual life right now in the present. That's what, that's what he means when he, when he says this in verse 10. Look at verse 10 with me. He says, but if Christ is in you, meaning the Spirit of Christ, and he's using that, synonymously with the Spirit of God. But if Christ is in you, the Spirit is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. 
What Paul's saying here is essentially what he just said just a few verses earlier. But what he's talking about here is our, our physical bodies are dead. Like our physical bodies are, we, we live in mortal bodies that are dying, that are decaying because of sin. That if you remember, death is the punishment for sin. And so then all of our bodies are, are dead. All of our bodies are, are dying. They're, they're mortal. They're all in the process of, of death. But even though our physical bodies are dead and dying, we still have life. That those who are in Christ, those who possess the Spirit, we're, we're, we're alive. Even though our physical bodies are, are dead and, and dying, we, we're alive. And the reason we're alive, and the, and the reason that even though that our physical bodies are dead, the reason that we're alive is, is because we have the Spirit. That the Spirit dwelling in us, the Spirit dwelling in physical dead, physical dying, physical decaying mortal bodies, means that we're alive and that we have life. But that's not... Like, that's impressive, but that's not the only effect that the dwelling of the Spirit has on us. The Spirit doesn't just give us life, spiritual life in the present. Instead, He's also going to give us resurrection life in the future. Like, that's, Paul, that's the point Paul makes in verse 11. Look there with me. Like, verse 11, like, memorize that. Put, like, little funky stars around it in your Bible. Like, verse 11 is astonishing. Look, look there. He says, if the Spirit, again, this is the second effect that the indwelling of the Spirit has on, on those in whom the Spirit dwells. Not only gives us spiritual life in the present, but also gives us resurrection life in the future. And so in verse 11, he says this. He says, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Like, just feel the weight of that. Just wrap your mind around that. Be astonished by that. The Spirit that dwells in you is the same exact Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Like, that's some power. The Spirit that is in you as a Christian, those of you who are in Christ, is the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. But that's not all. That same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will one day raise all of those who are in Christ back from the dead as well when Jesus returns on the last day. So, so do, you, do you see like Paul's point here in verses 9, 10, and 11? His point is to show how powerful and strong and mighty the Spirit is. And it's, he's, he's showing how the Spirit conquers death. That since the Spirit is life, the Spirit overpowers. The Spirit overcomes. The Spirit triumphs over death. Because the Spirit is life. And therefore, if you possess the Spirit, you're not dead. And you're not going to stay dead. Instead, you're alive. And you're going to live forever. Why? Because you got the Spirit. You're not in the flesh. You're in the Spirit. 
Do you see the massive, radical, profound difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? It's not just one comes to church. It's not just one reads their Bible. It's just not one prays and cleans their act up. Said the difference is much more radical and essential and massive than just a little tweak of behavior and a little change of belief. So then, five massive differences between those who are in the Spirit and those in the flesh. So, what are we to do with all that? Like, what, what, what are we to take away? Like, what's the, what's the takeaway from, from those differences that we've just seen? Well, none of this is on your handout. Feel free to write it if you want to. But I'm going to conclude with three takeaways, three, three truths that I think we ought to, kind of summarizing all this together, that we can take away from these differences that exist between those who are in the spirit and those who are in the flesh, between a Christian and a non-Christian. We'll end with these real quick. First takeaway is this. It's that the primary fundamental difference, going back to the question at the beginning of our, this message, the primary fundamental difference between those who are Christians and those who aren't Christians is the Spirit. The Spirit. That's it. In other words, the primary fundamental difference between a Christian and a non-Christian isn't that one prayed a prayer and the, and, and the other didn't. The primary fundamental difference between a Christian and non-Christian isn't that one was baptized and the other wasn't. The fundamental primary difference between a Christian and a non-Christian isn't that one reads their Bible and the other doesn't. The primary fundamental difference between a Christian and non-Christian isn't that one prays and the other one doesn't. The primary difference between a fundamental primary difference between a Christian and non-Christian isn't one, that one cleaned up their act and the other one didn't. It's not that one comes to church and the other one doesn't. It's not that one confesses sin and the other one doesn't. It isn't that one sings praises to Jesus and the other one doesn't. It's not even that one believes in Jesus and believes in the Trinity and believes sound theology and the other one doesn't. The primary fundamental difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that the Spirit of God dwells in one and not the other. That's the difference. And that is the that difference then has radical implications and has radical effects. And so then if you're here this morning, and, and as you consider and even in your own life, like, am I a Christian? Which of these groups am I in? The flesh or the spirit? Am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? then the question that you need to be asking to answer that isn't, did once upon a time in my life, did I pray a prayer? Did once upon a time in my life, did I raise my hand to accept Christ? The question that you need to be asking isn't, do I go to church? Do I read my Bible? Was I baptized? Do I really believe any of this? Instead, the fundamental primary question you need to ask in order to discern whether or not you're a Christian or not a Christian is do you have the Spirit? Those who possess the Spirit are in the Spirit. 
Those who don't possess the Spirit are not in the Spirit. They're still in the flesh. Secondly, then, takeaway is this. If the Spirit is in you, the Spirit is dwelling in you, then that will produce massive, life-transforming effects in your life. Massive, life-transforming effects in your life. And we've just seen five of them, right? And these effects aren't just small little tweaks, small little changes in behavior. They're not just small little changes of what you believe now. Instead, the effects of the Spirit dwelling in you are massive and profound and radical. I mean, once you were guilty, now you're no longer condemned. Once your mind was on the flesh, now it's on the Spirit. Once you were dead, now you're alive. Once you're an enemy of God, now you're at peace with God. Once you were hopeless, now you have the hope of resurrection life. Like that's the radical, massive, profound effect that the Spirit has on our lives when He comes and dwells in us and that, that, that massive effect of the Spirit dwelling in us should have a ripple effect then on how we live and how we talk and how we work and how we play and how we think and how we spend our time and how we walk through suffering and trials and temptations and hardships and challenges. If this is the massive change that's occurred, it changes everything. Which then leads to this last takeaway, and then we'll be done. It's that all of this, everything we've just described here, it's available to everyone in Christ. It's available to everyone in Christ. That it's found in Christ. It's not found in the law, how good or well you are in keeping the law. It's not found in you white-knuckling it and just trying to do better and improve yourself. It's found in you coming to the end of yourself and realizing that in and of yourself, there's absolutely nothing you can do. You cannot please God. You cannot submit to God in your flesh. You desperately need the Spirit. You cannot rescue yourself from the condemnation that you're under. You desperately need a Savior. You desperately need Jesus to stand in your place and be condemned for your sin in your place. And that's available to everyone here this morning that is here this morning apart from Christ, apart from the Spirit, in the flesh, It's it's coming to the end of yourself and trusting and believing in your heart that the only hope you have is Jesus. It's Jesus' life. It's Jesus' death. It's Jesus' resurrection. It's Jesus serving as your representative as the second Adam and undoing what the first Adam did. That those who trust and rely upon Jesus And look to him as your one and only representative who absorbed your condemnation and the just guilt that you deserve for your sin and are trusting in him. Uh, 
It's in, it's in that person that the Spirit comes and resides and dwells in. And the reality of that then has massive implications and ramifications on our lives. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, if what I've described are those who are in the flesh describes you, then I encourage you and even plead with you to trust and rely upon the work of Jesus on the cross right now. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for today. And we thank you as those who are in Christ. We thank you for what you've accomplished in us. We didn't do any of this. We don't deserve any of this. We couldn't do any of this. And you did it all. We were dead. We were condemned. We were enslaved. We were in bondage. Our minds were so warped and distorted and depraved. But God, by your mercy, you sent Christ to redeem and to set us free and liberate us from the rule and reign of sin and death. And you indwelt us with your spirit. And you radically, massively changed us. Like on the spot. It's not something that's progressive that we work to, that we grow in and become and evolve to. Instead, it's just supernatural, miraculous, conversion, wham, bam, dead, life, guilty, not condemned, hopeless, hopeful. And so God, I pray that as Christians, as those who are in Christ, pray that we would not minimize our conversion and pray that we would not ever um, diminish the reality of the differences that exist between who we once were and who we are now in Christ and the dwelling of your spirit. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.